Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and we've got another pretty good episode for you today. We have to talk about, obviously, the Yankees and the Mets going through yet another up and down week of baseball. And of course, shortly later for you, we have our guest, Alec Walt, coming on. We will be discussing the Yankees and the Red Sox and probably have a little bit of an AL East discussion. But first, before I get into anything else, I would like to give you guys a reminder Please give us a follow on all our forms of social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Insta and Twitter. And of course, do not to forget to give us a subscription to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And today, I think I'm going to start off by talking about the New York Mets. The Mets had really an interesting weekend. Obviously, you know, they didn't really get to play much. Friday and Sunday were both rainouts sandwiched in between a Saturday blowout win, 13 to 2 over the Braves. But there's a lot to discuss with getting into the Mets. First of all, the rainouts, you could argue, might be a blessing in disguise because obviously you have a lot of guys on that team getting injured. And of course, the um, some of them are resting up and getting ready to return. Kevin Pillar, Seth Lugo, and Pete Alonso coming back this week against Arizona was absolutely huge. And I guess another positive you could say about Sunday's rainout game for the Mets is the fact that, uh, you know, the Jacob deGrom got to got an extra day of rest and of course, that helped him get a win against the Dimebacks, as you know, pretty much everyone expected to. And um, obviously, let's talk about some of the other injuries right now at the moment the Mets are dealing with. First off, Jonathan Villar is out day-to-day. He has tightness in his hamstring. J.D. Davis, while initially we thought he might be able to come back, he was dealing with some soreness in his hand. Unfortunately, he had a major setback when swinging the bat, and so it looks like he is going to have to be shut down for the season or for the foreseeable future. Brandon Nemo is out dealing with a nerve issue in his hand, so that's another another blow to the Mets. He's a good leadoff hitter, and you, ne- you never really want to lose a guy like him. And in spite of this, the Mets, one of the big things to take away from them, they have been very resilient when dealing with these injuries. And you look at the standings right below, the Mets are four and a half games, or actually, no, currently they're four games ahead of the Atlanta Brave for, Braves for first place. And... You know, that's actually seven games up in the loss column because of all the rainouts that they had. It's amazing. Ten games have had to be postponed. And four and a half games ahead of the Phillies and Miami and Washington still have a ways to go, obviously. But as it is, it's the biggest lead that they have in the division, really, that anybody has so far. And, um, you know, one of the big thing that's helped them this weekend in their series, one of the Diamondbacks. Obviously, you know, they had that tough loss after DeGrom pitched. They had the lead in the ninth. Edwin Diaz, probably the first time he blew a save, but in the end, they bounced back the next day. They scored four, but unfortunately for them, David Peterson gave up five runs and could not hold a big lead. But, you know, the Mets battled back, and one of the big the big reasons the Mets have been able to bounce back this week, Francisco and Lindor. His production looks like it's finally starting to come together, and you know, while a lot of Met fans were booing him and, you know, I can somewhat understand, even though I don't agree with it, you look at Francisco Lindor, he, he's important for the Mets to be successful. He's a leader on the team. Everyone there loves him. And, you know, like Paul said a few weeks ago when I had him and John Quinn, he's a guy that, you know, the Mets haven't really been able to rely on since they've had the likes of David Wright all those years ago. And we got a comment right now from, Tom Scavetta of Review and Preview, he says, still in first place, no idea how. Alonzo has been heating up, and Billy McKinney was a nice pickup. Yeah, I agree. Billy McKinney, 
another one of the outfielders they picked up off the scrap. And fun fact, Billy McKinney was actually a Yankee, albeit very briefly. He started the 28th season with the Yankees, but you might remember he got hurt in a freak collision trying to catch a ball. And he also was one of the guys the Yankees got in exchange for Aroldis Chapman a couple years ago when they had that epic sell-off. And yeah, I'm about to get to Pete Alonso too. He, he, him heating up is pretty important. And let me give you some stats this week regarding the Mets. Dominic Smith has gone seven for 14, two walks, four RBIs, a home run, and two doubles. Francisco Lindor, as I mentioned, he had not only has been hitting 310 this past week, but over the course of the Diamondback series, he went eight for 20, three RBIs, a home run, a double, and a triple. And as Tom mentioned, Pete Alonso is five for 13. He had a walk, five RBIs, and a home run including, of course, the game-winning hit against the Diamondbacks in the Thursday in the third game of that series. And James McCann, the catcher who his hitting's kind of been off and on, but this week he had a very big series. He went 8 for 16, 7 RBIs, 2 home runs, 2 doubles. And a big thing to wonder is can the Mets sustain this good start despite all the injuries they have right now? I mean, right now, who knows? I think it definitely helps that they have the biggest lead, as I mentioned, of four games, but you know, the Atlanta Braves are not a team I would really count out yet. And I think the Mets definitely should be able to win this division, like assuming nothing bad happens. But I, I can definitely, I think otherwise they're in pretty good shape. I see nothing really wrong. But anyways, after this series against the Dimebacks, they will go out, finish that West Coast trip series in San Diego. After that series, they go to Baltimore briefly, and then they return home for a seven-game homestand. You got... I believe three games against the Padres and four games against the Cubs. So Mets got a pretty much a little bit of a gauntlet heading forward for them. But anyways, obviously now time to talk about my team, the New York Yankees been a pretty interesting week to say the least. And um, yeah, let's talk about that. The first game against Detroit, not so great. I mean, Garrett Cole was solid, but, a fact of the matter is they couldn't they could only score one run for him. That's not good. And while it did go to extra innings, they did take the lead. Ruvnet Odor was one of the few positives of that game. He got four hits, but unfortunately, the Yankees couldn't end up holding on to that lead. And this was one of those games that I really don't understand the way Aaron Boone managed because you had to roll this Chapman in the bullpen. He's been one of the most dominant closers in the league. Why he's not pitching an extra inning, I mean, I get it. You don't want to burn him out. But again, if, if you're going into the 10th inning and you have the lead, you might as well put the hammer down and let him keep going. Why bring out Justin Wilson, who for the Yankees right now, he's not been very reliable. Like he has literally not been very healthy. And Aaron Boone even admitted to the game as such that that wasn't the case. So I didn't think that was very responsible. And Forget the fact that at the end of that game, you had a strike three call that probably wasn't. The fact of the matter is, you score one run against the last place Detroit Tigers team on a day that Garrett Cole is pitching, that's not good. That's very alarming. So I think that game really set the tone for the Yankees, unfortunately, and really didn't get any better. They couldn't hit Spencer Turnbull in game two, and then game three, another disaster, and I got a few stats that really are not so great. So the Yankees were only able to score five runs against the Tigers. Five. And like I said, this isn't the 2010s Tigers we're talking about where you had a triple crown winning Miguel Cabrera. You had an MVP pitcher and Justin Verlander. You had Max Scherzer getting in his prime. No. You have a geriatric Miguel Cabrera this time. And you have Akil Badu who got off to a really good start, but other than that, it's mostly like a team that's in the midst of a rebuild. Not acceptable. With runners in scoring position, at one point, they were two for their last 25. Also, not good. And I think one of the other big problems of the Yankees right now, I don't even think it's just their hitting. I, I just don't think that the Yankees, as of right now, have been a fundamentally sound team. Like, Forget the fact that they're not able to get the guy home from third base with, with less than two outs. Forget the fact that you have, like, guys making errors. Like, 
in that then the third game against Detroit, they made three errors alone. Like that's not good. The fact of the matter is, there's they they have been getting themselves into a lot of on base, made a lot of base running blunders. That can't happen. Game three against the Tigers. Let me give you an example. Yankees were down six nothing. They scored a run. Gary Sanchez gets an RBI hit. And by the way, Gary Sanchez is a guy who I don't know if I've really talked about it a lot on this show, but he is a guy I am definitely starting to lose patience with. Like he forget the fact that he struggles hitting, forget the fact that he can't necessarily frame pitches very well. See him making base runners errors like that. That tells me that the clock is ticking for him. The Yankees are going to have to like, cut ties with him eventually because like if we're seeing consistently low averages and we're consistently seeing mistakes like that, that's not good. And the fact that his base running error in game three happened with two outs after driving in a run and getting thrown on a second, that pretty much ended the game right there. Now, granted the Yankees were still down by four. The Yankees still had a long way to go. Like, you knew they probably weren't going to come back and maybe it was still a bit of a hold to climb, but Remember, the Tigers aren't a big, aren't like a big contender. This isn't a team that like that would necessarily feel like having the lead like this is safe. Like the Yankees could have really changed things, but an error like that can really can really hurt things. Now, I know I said the Yankees technically made three and they did make one base running error that in my book is an error, but obviously you're not going to see that in the score sheet. But in any event, they just could not hit in that series. And Let's talk about the Rays. Now, this was slightly better. The Yankees split the series against Tampa Bay and definitely helps to do that because Tampa, as you can see in the ticker at the bottom, they are in first place right now by about one and a half or no, two games rather, but they're up by one or no, sorry, four in the loss column. Sorry, Yankees are trailing by four and a half. I'm getting my numbers mixed up, but in any event, they split the series with Tampa. They struggled to hit on the Memorial Day game. Kevin Kiermeyer, their old nemesis, hits a home run. Yankees don't win that one. Now, game two, they dodged a bullet in this game. Like, Clint Frazier made a big catch. Now, forget the fact that he had a walk-off home run. Clint Frazier has been hot and cold this season. We're not really talking about his hitting so much, or his fielding, rather, but that saved the game right there. He had a big walk-off home run, and that was a huge win for the Yankees. The next day, obviously, they they win another close game, but what obviously is being overlooked in that, you had more base running blunders. Like, Gary Sanchez had another game. In, ga- in game two, he got thrown out for that third in the seventh inning. Ground balls hit to the shortstop. He, I don't know why he's even trying to advance on that play. It's not common sense, not smart baseball. The next day... You have Gio Rochella getting thrown at it, trying to advance throw on a wild pitch. Why even want the general rule of thumb in baseball? Do not try to go to third unless you're absolutely sure you're going to make it. Because if you make the first or last out of third, very detrimental in a ball game. And then, of course, Glaber Torres gets picked off shortly thereafter. And I got a really horrible stat for you right here. The Yankees have been have made 28 base running outs this season. Average teams have had 15. In other words, the Yankees have made twenty made a whole game's worth of outs when running on bases. That's horrible. That cannot happen. Like, if the Yankees are going to be contending, you need to see more fundamentally sound plays. Totally, totally unacceptable. But in any event, today was a big... Garrett Cole got bombed. Guys like Kevin Kiermeyer and Austin Meadows, who had five RBIs today, did them in, and... You know, even though the Yankees are now, I think they're like, what, 12, 12 and 15 against the or something like that. They have, they've been losing a lot of games to the Rays. It's been brutal, but we have, the Yankees have a really big series coming up against the Boston Red Sox. And here with me to talk about the Boston Red Sox, a good friend of mine who I have done collaborate with in the stream, Alec Walt. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, good to have you. It's this has been this is going to be a really interesting week, and uh, you know the Yankees and the Red Sox have both been slumping a little bit, but uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see who takes over and who gets a bit of a second place advantage here. What are your overall thoughts going into the series so far? 
Yeah, well, it's an interesting timing for uh, these two teams to face off because obviously one of the key storylines this year in the American League East was how big of a surprise the Red Sox have been. I mean, entering, I mean, they won today, they're 33 and 23. And if you were to tell me at the beginning of the season that that'd be their record about a third of the way through the season, I tell you, you're crazy. I think the Red Sox have definitely exceeded my expectations. They played some pretty solid baseball. Their pitching's been much better uh, than I expected. And you know, they have someone in the back of the bullpen like Matt Barnes, who, who's been pretty productive in his role back there, which has definitely uh, made it a lot easier for the rest of the guys in the pen. But of course, you know, we're, we're, we haven't played the Yankees yet this season. We're, we got the Yankees coming up this weekend and the Red Sox are playing some of their uh, worst baseball heading into this series. They just lost uh, three out of four against Houston. They did just win the game today. So, you know, the Red Sox this year have been a team that's been had one of the best offenses in baseball. Offense has been down across the league. The Red Sox have had one of the most consistent, and they scored two, one, one, and then finally today five runs against the Astros. That's not going to get it done no matter who you play. So, right. um, you know, the Red Sox, again, they've been a nice surprise, but the Yankees are playing them in their first series at a pretty solid time because that deadly offense is not swinging the bat well right now. Yeah, no, and you know, one of the big reasons that I've I've noticed that the Red Sox have been struggling, I was taking a look at some of your guys' numbers. I didn't realize how much your guy Kiki Hernandez is struggling in the leadoff spot. Oh, right now, he's doing awful. Well, he, he came back from an injury, and he hasn't <laughs> not been able to hit the baseball. Are you ready for these numbers that I'm about to give you? Uh, I'm worried it's worse than the numbers I saw the other day, so uh, go go ahead. It's, it's not pretty. batting average and an OBP of 290. Yeah, that's not, not leadoff hitter like numbers. So and hasn't he been? He, he I think he, his last like twenty or twenty five at bats, he has like one hit. Maybe he has not been doing anything there in the leadoff spot. Yeah, no. So what I was going to ask you regarding that, would you say it's time to end the Kike Hernandez leadoff experiment? And if so, who do you replace him with? So that's the, the main question: is who who do you replace him with? And I think they eventually have to because he simply isn't getting the job done. Now, outside of him, it's not just him who's not getting the job done. I mean, right. Bogart has been playing pretty awful. I mean, he had a solid day today. Rafael Devers simply can't hit a fastball. It seemed like every pitch that the Houston Astros threw to him was one of those. So he's in a little bit of a slump. Uh, I mean, that that was one of the main questions going into the season is who's going to be the leadoff guy. Now, a lot of people projected it would be uh, Alex Verdugo. I really wasn't too big of a fan of that. One thing I've liked about Kike is the fact that he can play in that center field spot and take some of the leadoff pressure. Verdugo's a better in the corner outfield spot, hitting about a two in the lineup where he is. Now, if you were to replace him, that that's a great question because I don't really know. I mean, maybe you move Verdugo up a spot. I mean – I'm, I'm looking at their roster right now. I mean, you're not moving Bogarts. You're obviously not moving Devers and JD. You know, Renfro is way too inconsistent. Santana had a good first weekend and has really fallen off. Marwin doesn't play enough. Neither does Arroyo. You're not going to lead off a catcher. Who, who are you going to lead off? Yeah, it's it's not a good situation. And by the way, we've got a comment here for you. Our buddy uh, Tom from, of course, Review and Preview. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's, What's up, up, Tom? J.D. Martinez is every fantasy owner's dream. Yeah, J.D., I think, has been – he's been swinging the bat pretty well. Oh, what yeah. you? He he Because uh, he has the outfield – well, it depends on what type of league you're in. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming Tom's in a league that he allows – he's allowed to play in the outfield. Right. Uh, but, yeah, man, you know, they've allowed uh, video back in the dugouts. He had that full off season, and J.D.'s swinging the bat well, and the lineup most of the season has been comp- has been reflective of that. J.D.'s been an animal this year. It's, it's awesome to see him in the D.H. spot. Yeah, I like the approach that J.D. Martinez takes, and as I kind of – hitter every time. Yeah, no, I wish I wish a few other sluggers on my team took the on my team took the approach of where they could watch video and study their swings rather than swing for the fences every time. But that's a rant I've probably done ad nauseum about the Yankees, and I'll probably do for another day. But um, another thing I got to ask: so you mentioned Xander Bogarts. I know you said he's been struggling. However, in my personal opinion, I actually think he's a, one of the more criminally underrated shortstops in baseball. Like, it's a hundred percent right. Yeah, I know you might be surprised hearing this from a Yankee fan, but you look at his averages like for the past like five years, he's consistently at or near 300. Mm-hmm. He has a few silver sluggers. He's got a few all-star appearances. And of course, he's got one. Th- and as this pains me to admit this, but he's got one thing that a lot of other shortstops don't have right now. 
that's one of those World Series shiny rings, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you look at the shortstop position in Major League Baseball from a depth talent depth perspective, it's one of the best in the league. I mean, you got Tatis, Story, Lindor, Correa, Tim Anderson, Xander Bogarts. I mean, some of the best players in this league play that position. And when you have so many players like that at the spot, you almost forget Xander Bogarts is there. This is crazy. Entering the month of June among shortstops all across Major League Baseball, Bogarts is first in batting average, first in OPS, second in hits, fourth in RBIs, and fifth in home runs. Wow. that That's unreal. And, again, I can't believe this guy doesn't really get talked about enough. Like, And it's really surprising to me, considering he plays in Boston. You would think that being in a big market like that city, you'd hear more talk like, oh, Xander is among the big shorts, biggest shortstops in the league or whatnot. But I feel like in Boston, that's everyone already knows that. By but also, way, this also is a great, a bigger issue in the fact that baseball yeah. does a very bad job marketing its players. I mean, if you walked around Boston right now and you mentioned Xander Bogart's name, everyone knows going to know who you're talking right. about. Sure. If you go to Phoenix, it may be a different story, which which is an issue. I 100% agree with you. But, yeah, this news is a stud. And I feel like every single season, like I mentioned, whenever you talk about the top shortstops, you'll oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, Bogart, he's pretty good, too. And, you know, you don't get that depth at every position across baseball. You look at second base, it drops off significantly. You know, shortstop's a loaded position in major leagues, and I think Xander absolutely needs to have his name mentioned above the best. Absolutely. And by the way, we've got a, con from, a comment from my aunt who lives in uh, Brooklyn, Lyon, Massachusetts. You'll love this. Hey, go Red Sox. <laughs> uh, next guy I want to talk about, Alex Verdugo. I think he's been very good so far. I would say that he has definitely lessened the blow of losing some of your old outfielders, particularly a guy by the name of Marcus Lynn Betts, who you obviously know as Mookie. But do you would you say that he has a long term future with the team? I mean, th this is a guy whose swing is like totally fit for Fenway. Absolutely, and you know he uh, he was one of the main centerpieces in that trade, and he's come to Boston, and he hasn't. You know, normally when you you're a you're the main piece of a deal with someone that popular. You know, not even even outside the city of Boston. You're always looked at as the guy that was traded for the star. You know, he's come to Boston. He's accepted being a Red Sox. You remember when in his initial interviews, he was talking about how he couldn't wait to meet Big Poppy. He's, you know, uh, uh, done a good job communicating with the fans. He's a hard worker. He's put some clutch hits. Like, he does a lot of things well that Red Sox fans really like. He's intense. He's tough. Mm -hmm. He plays he, better defender than I actually thought he'd be. Now, uh, obviously, it sucks to lose bets. You know, no one wants to see a superstar player go out the way he did. And there was a lot of financial mismanagement on the Red Sox part that led to them having to make a trade. But I think Alex Verdugo absolutely has a high ceiling playing in what uh, we've seen him in both, both corner outfield spots this season. I think he should stay in right. But for a very, very for a very long time and he, he's fit in so well. I mean, you're you're 100 percent right when it comes to his swing. You know, I watch him bat and. His swing is getting better, and it just it makes so much sense for him to play in this ballpark. He's such a, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a great. He was a he's a great addition, knowing that obviously you know you, the situation with trading for Mookie Betts. But I like watching Verdugo play a lot, and he doesn't have that. I don't watch him play saying that's who was traded for Mookie Betts. I say this is a guy that can play in right field for a long time. Yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the good, the other good things about having um, Alex Verdugo is it takes a little bit of the pressure off some of your uh, big name minor league star outfielders that are down a, a, like the shuttle away. And is it Worcester? I think it's I know now in Worcester. Yeah. The Wooster. I was going to say, I know it used to be Pawtucket, but I think they just recently changed to Wooster. But anyways, what I was saying was you got a guy like Jared Duran, who's like, I think he's the big name in your system now. So having he's him, one, yeah, he's, he's one of a couple guys that are, that are on the way. So, yeah, him producing, I think, takes a lot of pressure off of him, and they don't have to, like, rush him to the major leagues in case, obviously, one of your guys, like, struggles or gets into a slump. But um, speaking of Red Sox outfielders, like, I think there's another guy i got to talk about because he's been a little bit polarizing. I think Bobby Dalbeck's the guy's name. I know he had a bit of a promising stretch as of late, but we also know he's had a bit of a rough patch. And, um, get, again, given the prospects that are viewed in the system, such as Jeter Downs and, Jer and Duran, is this a guy who you think is going to be like trade bait in the near future? Or do you think somehow he still finds a way on the roster? Well, the thing with Dalbeck is his, his spot is because he has been mainly a, he's a corner infielder. 
Right. So he has Chavis breathing down his neck. Plus, mm. Marwin has the ability to do it. And Tristan Cassius, who's their top first base prospect, is probably going to be in Boston in the next couple of years. I mean, his thing is he's a really streaky hitter. Um, teams are abusing him with the fastball. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of players struggle with the adjustment of seeing 97 consistently. I mean, the, the way pitchers are throwing right now is absolutely unbelievable. It took him about a month or so to really get his home run swing down. Um, you know, trade bait wise, when you look at the depth in the Red Sox system, it's not that great. So when you look at Tristan Cassius, a top 100 prospect, he is expected to possibly be the potential first baseman of the future. If he is, and within two or three years, that's the decision the organization wants to go. I think Dahlbeck absolutely is trade bait. Now he has a really powerful swing. Obviously that leads to a lot of inconsistencies, but he's absolutely a starting level first baseman around the league. I think Cassius has a chance to be a little bit better because I think his raw power is just there. I think he has a chance to be an extremely productive offensive first baseman, but uh, give it two years. If um, we're still looking to improve the pitching and Cassius is on the way out the door, I think flipping Dalbeck for, for an arm make, makes a ton of sense. And you mentioned Duran. I, I cannot wait to see him. And if, if, if PK keeps struggling, they may, be, may have to consider calling him up a little bit earlier than expected. Yeah. I don't know if him being called up would be a look-see so much as uh, they want him to help, help you out in the lineup. See, I, yeah. I guess, so to speak. And, we have another comment, by the way. My guy Andrew Hopper, who I had last. Hey, week, what's up, Andrew? How's it going, Andrew? Good, to, good to see you. Thanks for checking in, folks. Remember, if you want to keep interrupt interacting with us, you want to talk some uh, Yankees, Red Sox with us, and even more baseball news that I ha- that has to come. Please do not hesitate to comment down below in the comments section. But, um, anyways, let's move on to the pitching. So. Nick Pavetta has been a key member of the pitching staff. Do you think that the change of scenery from him going to Fenway really affected him? And to what extent did, did it help? Like if, if it helped at all. Oh, it was huge because you look at Philadelphia the last couple of years, it's been terrible for pitchers. I mean, they, they right. I feel like they've added half the league and a lot of it really has struggled to adjust. Now, obviously the top two with their rotations, very productive. I think their depth has been very shaky the last couple of years, but I think he's absolutely a product of, of a new situation. He was always a hard thrower, but was never really used very well in Philadelphia. He comes to a new team, Alex Cora, now as the manager, Heim Bloom, who does a great job scouting pitchers from his days uh, when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, obviously Pavetta was a guy for a couple of years in Philadelphia. You said he just needs to find his way out. I mean, it wasn't working well. He had a tough time pitching in that ballpark. I mean, I wouldn't even, I don't even know what the pitching program is there in Philly when he was there. Because yeah. he was there for the end of Kapler, plus they changed their GM. There was a lot of nonsense going on in Philadelphia, yeah. which is definitely not good for a pitcher. So, you know, right. he's a hard-throwing kid. He also has had um, unbelievable run support this year outside of yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's definitely been a product of quality runs. I think he has six wins this year already, uh, which is pretty crazy. So, you know, Philly was a bad situation. Boston right now is looking like a pretty solid situation. I, I really still don't see him as a pitcher that's going to be higher than maybe fourth or third or fourth in in this rotation. But for when, when you had to get rid of a couple bullpen pieces last year, they go to Philly, they struggle. He sits for majority of the season, has a full-time role this year. Uh, it's definitely been a good situation there for for Pavetta. And I like what I'm seeing because going into the season, I thought the Red Sox were going to have one of the worst rotations in baseball. And Erod has yeah. not been very good, and they still have one of the more surprising rotations in baseball. And that's because of guys like Pavetta, Perez, Eobaldi, who, who who pitched very well this year. So I give Pavetta a lot of credit, Bloom a lot of credit for bringing him in because, you know, he needed that new situation. He's found it in Boston, and he's been very successful to start the season. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let me pull up some of the numbers for him this year. So I see that he's 6-1. and one, mm-hmm. and- his ERA is 3.77, which, as as I as you know, is a little bit high. But I think, like you said, you're absolutely right about the run support. It definitely has helped him this year. And I would agree that a change of scenery probably has been for the best. And uh, 68 strikeouts and a 1.223 whip, that's, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's no, he, he's been very solid. I mean, he's gotten into games. I mean, he's gotten to the sixth or seventh a couple games, which is always great for a bullpen. I think that's been better than I expected, but I still don't think is – fully ready to make any deep runs if that's what they plan on doing this year. I think they do need to add a couple more pieces back there if, if they're going to want to do something. But you know, I give a lot of credit to Haim uh, because I was not a huge fan of this trade, but Pavetta is making the Phillies look pretty stupid. So I'm glad you brought up Haim Bloom because it seems to me that he's been 
he's made a lot of good moves that have helped turn around the Red Sox. Now, obviously, you have the dud that was the Andrew Benintendi trade. I think that they really fell flat there. And it depends what they get from the players we name later, but uh, true. Maybe. But Fred having in the minor yeah, league so help. bad. He's so bad. I, he was good for about the first week of the season. And then he went on a little bit of a skid and he had no idea how to get out of it. And uh, let me answer Tom's question. Second question. He says, what's the deal with Nick Pavetta, former NLE star with a shaky ERA. Is he benefiting from Boston's offensive cess? Yeah. I think as we talked Helps about when you go out long. there, when it's three, nothing, four, nothing, four, one, yeah. five, one, yeah, as we yeah. kind of alluded to earlier, I, I would agree with uh, Alec on that. I think definitely it helps pitching for an offensive. I guess you could say it's an offensive juggernaut because you got a few guys who are pretty high in the batting average. And you have uh, Devers and uh, Bogarts who are like up there in the RBI category. So I think that definitely can help. But I also yeah. think having good stuff and being in a change of scenery can help. Because as we mentioned, like like you alluded to, you're, you're absolutely right about the Phillies. They were in an absolute mess. Like it, it, it says something when they've had to change managers multiple times over the past few years. And when they've had, when they're on like what their second or third GM within the past five years. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah, Clint Dombrowski. Uh, I can't remember who the other one was, but Dombrowski, you had a uh, Clintac and I think Andy McPhail was the president at the time. I think, too. yeah, I think you're right. So it, it wasn't great. I mean, I still don't, I'm not really sold on Philly. I know we're kind of focused more on the Red Sox and the Yankees, but no, me neither. They're I don't really trust them either, but also because they've thrown a lot around a lot of money on hitters and look at how their bullpen is. But Dark. if Heim if Heim can keep making these types of moves, I mean that he has to. I mean the organization from a pitching perspective still isn't great. I mean a lot of it has to rely on the health of Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, especially with those four depth pitchers pitching better than I expected. If those two can come back and be, I mean, Eduardo's already back, but hasn't been pitching well. A sale, we're still waiting to hear what it comes back from. But, you know, he gave up very little for a guy that just needed a new situation, and now he, yep. he's pitching very well. I think that also says a lot about Alex Cora. I think the return of Cora has been huge for this team. This was a team that didn't look forward to going to work, it almost seemed like, on a daily basis. When you play professional baseball and you have games every single day, mm -hmm. that matters. And yes. we have JD hitting well, you know, Xander and and Raphael complimenting that well. Uh, Verdugo taking that step forward, your depth pitcher stepping up. I think a lot of it has to do with Cora back on the bench. And, you know, he's been awesome since he returned from his suspension. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, don't get me wrong. I can go on, say, stuff about what Cora did with Houston and whatnot. But at the same time, and I thought this, like, in 27 – or, no, sorry, 2018 when he came there, like – I think he was good for them. Like, if you remember 2018, he created a whole different culture. Like, he had a more relaxed atmosphere, whereas I think your previous guy, Farrell, was kind of a little too uptight and a bit of bit of a hard guy to deal with. So I, I can't and, stand John Farrell. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I know a lot of you guys didn't like John Farrell. But, um, yeah, Cora changed the atmosphere. They seem, It seemed much loose. And it also helps that he's bilingual. Like, when you have a lot of guys who who speaks Spanish too, like that, that helps more than people realize. Cause it helps. It shows you that he's a good communicator and that he can really get along well with his players. And um, yeah, I, I really, from what I understand, I think Cora gives a really good vibe for the Red Sox, even yeah. though obviously as a Yankee fan, I'm personally not too big a fan considering what he was doing in Houston and what he may or may not have doing with the Red Sox, but we're not going to talk about that. I think he's done a good job as their manager. Yeah. I think, I think re-signing him back, especially after like you were in the midst of a rebuild after that awful 2020, which we obviously knew the Red Sox weren't even trying that year. Like getting him back, I think was important because I think they really did need a bit of the culture change, so to speak. But um, yeah, I I'm glad you brought up high and bloom too, because as a Yankee fan, I've seen him work with two of my division rivals. You look at the Tampa Bay Rays. He is the reason why I almost always say, never make a trade with Tampa Bay because they always seem to like sneak up and make a good deal. And I'm pretty sure this is the same guy who pretty much absolutely train robbed the Pittsburgh pirates by taking Austin Meadows and glass now probably giving them. Chris uh, I don't Walker know what his specific role was that year. Was that like five years ago, something like that. 
it was like four or five years ago, but yeah, he it was, he was uh, I think, July 2018. Yeah. Oh, wow. I guess only three years. July 2018. Yeah. He was with the Rays there. I don't know what his specific role is and what, how he was involved in the scouting of those two players. I mean, if you can, I think it's more convincing them to say yes than scouting at that point when you're getting medals and glass now, but my God, I, I would love to see a couple of those here in Boston. Uh, I don't know what exactly that move is. Because the Red Sox, from a from financially, are way different than the Rays. They can afford. Right. I mean, they're not going to do those types of move on a yearly basis. But I mean, Pavetta's not nearly as good. But you know, he took a few guys that I don't even think are on the Phillies anymore and found a starting caliber pitcher. And a couple more deals like those they're going to need. Because again, I still don't think their pitching's the best, even though they've been much better than I expected this season. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know. You look at the 2020 Rays lineup. Now, obviously, we know he was with the Red Sox in 2020, but that team that made it to the World Series, we could say what you want about how it happened in a like 60-something game season, how it was shortened due to a pandemic. But the fact of the matter is the Rays still got to the World Series, and they still had a lot of good players to get there. And it has his fingerprints. So that's, yeah. that's no small feat, especially when you consider the fact that the Tampa Bay Rays are a small market organization. But I have to say, though, speaking of the Rays, like, we know that they're in first place right now. Let me pull up the standings right now. They are actually, they are two games up on the Red Sox, one in the loss column. So you look at the Rays' success. Are you surprised that they're this good, or are you just thinking it's typical Tampa? I'm not surprised at all. Now, I didn't love, I, I liked the return they got in the Snell trade. I didn't love the idea of them making this move. Right. Snell hasn't been the best. I think Patino has the chance to be an absolute stud. But, no, mm-hmm. I mean, when you looked at their team, a good majority of it was returning. Plus, when you looked at their farm system and saw guys like Shane McClanahan on the rise, plus adding Patino in this trade, you know, they had a lot of depth. They had they signed a lot of veterans who have been extremely productive in Rich Hill and Michael Waka. And none of this should really surprise me because the Rays have some formula, then they make it work pretty much every single season. I, I never, you know, count out Kevin Cash. I mean, he's one of the best managers in Major League Baseball, and it doesn't surprise me at all. They had a solid lineup. They have a very solid coaching staff. Yes, they had to go through some changes pitching-wise, but pitching's where they specialize, and they find that next kid to come up in the organization and and be productive. They know how to to manage those bullpen games, having relievers come in for three or four innings, middle relief situations. They know how to do it all. They're they're the Rays. They're extremely smart, so – I mean, it just, it's crazy to think that they're able to be this productive on a consistent basis without spending very much money. But you got to give them a lot of credit. While that front office and that coaching staff spend together, they've been pretty consistent and solid every single year. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, and I think this could probably be sustained over the course of the season. I don't think they're going away anytime soon, personally. However, there's really one other team in, that division, in this division that scares me, and that's Toronto Blue Jays. Now, their pitching staff might be a little iffy, but when you look at that lineup, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero is the lead, the American League leader in batting average. I think he's around 330-something. Yeah, he's up there. 337. And I believe he's tied with Ronald Acuna for the most home runs. That That's still a pretty lethal team. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. count them out either. So Wait till they get Springer back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're, they're going to be absolutely lethal. I think it's really going to be interesting to see how the division comes down. It's going to be a four-team race, obviously, but – um. Obviously, the main reason I have you here this for this week is it's another chapter of the Yankees-Red Sox series. And as I said, both of them were kind of in a little bit of a slump coming into this series. Like the Red Sox, I know they salvaged, they salvaged the series in Houston by avoiding the sweep today. But, you know, we talked about the offense and how cold it's been getting. What are your overall expectations coming to this big series with the Yankees? Do you think that it's really it could really turn the corner? Should and the Red Sox could have a chance to like leapfrog the Rays. I, I don't think either team sweeps. I think this will be a competitive yeah. series. I don't think this will be a one of those you know series. Cha- I mean, I think you know the Yankees looked forward to that Houston series, and I thought right. after that they really turned a corner. I don't really see that going into this weekend. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys don't have Cole pitching. So I expect a couple games for the ball. No, we, um, the ballpark. I was going to say he got rocked. He, pitched, he got bombed today by the Rays. Yeah. Pretty. So, I mean, I think it's weird that we're, we're playing this, this late, but my expectations are, you know, if the Red Sox keep 
this offense, what they're doing offensively, and they score one run or two runs uh, against the Yankees, the Yankees are going to sweep them. If the Red Sox got to swing the bat, they're a team that has an identity offensively. You know, Nathan Ivaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, pitch, Richard, okay, that's actually not a bad three starting pitchers going into this, except for the fact that Erod hasn't been pitching that great. I think Ivaldi and Richards have been very solid. Um, but for the Red Sox, I mean, if I expect that their starting pitching will be okay. Their starting pitching's been okay all year. Mm-hmm. If they hit the baseball, they'll win. If they don't, they won't. And I think this series, I think both teams will definitely get a win. Yeah. I think the Red Sox are going to lose the Erod game because Erod just is not pitching very well. But again, neither team's really playing that outstanding. I think this team, this this series means a little bit more than I was fully expecting because, you know, Red Sox, I weren't thinking were going to be this good. The Yankees thought were going to be better, and the Red Sox are better than I thought. Yankees are worse than I thought, and yep. there are a couple games into the season. But no, I, I think it'll be a good series. I don't think it'll be a blowout in either way, but Evaldi Rodriguez Rich is a pretty solid trio. But if they don't hit and Erod pitches like he's throwing a bunch of softballs, you know, don't expect to leave Yankee Stadium, you know, with a couple victories. So let me give you the uh pitching the pitching matchups for the series. So tomorrow night we've got Mike um I believe we have Michael King pitching for the Yankees. I'm not sure whether he's gonna actually be starting this or whether they're doing an opener. I don't know how I feel about that, so I'm a little nervous. And not to mention Nathan Yavaldi. I know he's kind of had an up-and-down career. I know he dominated us in 2018, but he's a guy that has filthy stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is a guy who, when the Yankees let him go, I was a little confused as to why. Because I know he may have had a, the ERA that was in like the high threes or early fours, but he was still a guy who had nasty stuff. And mm. when he goes and whenever he's going up against the Yankees, I'm I get a little nervous for that because he's pitched for the Yankees before and the way they let him go and for him to go to the Red Sox, you know, that gives an athlete an extra motivation. So I'm really not sure what to expect for the first game. However, when we get to Saturday, I believe that is the Erod game. Let me just make it sure. Is. Yes, that is the Erod game. Erod against Jamison Tyon. Well, actually, you might have a chance because Jamison Tyon's one and four with a five ten ERA. I must say, I don't think either starter is going that far. No, I think that's going to be a very high scoring game. I and then you got Sunday night. Obviously, they're going to make the ESPN game of the week because why not? It's Yankees Red Sox. You got Domingo Harmon against Garrett Richards. I'm really not a hundred percent sure what to expect. If I'm going to do a little bit of prediction. I'm going to say the Yankees win this series two out of three, but I'm not going to say that with 100% certainty because if I'm being completely honest with you, the Yankees, as I ranted against Detroit, forget the fact they scored five runs. They did not look fundamentally sound this week at all. Like, And there are only a few hitters in the lineup that you can really rely on. And while DJ LeMay, has been in a slump, I'm not going to fault him entirely because when you look at everybody else, like it's hard to really pin it on one guy. But the fact of the matter is he's only had three hits in the month of May. Two of them were solo home runs and a blowout loss to the Nationals. So make of that what you will. Gio Urshela has probably been the one guy that's been consistent. Aaron Judge, when healthy, is still dangerous. But other than that, it's not a lineup that I really trust to score runs. And Remember, they went through a stretch where they scored a lot of there were they had a lot of games where they scored two runs or less. That's that's pretty bad. So yeah, I think if anything, that's where you should feel a little bit of hope for the Yankees. And not to mention they've they there have been games where they made like a lot of errors. Like they had the third game against Detroit where they made three errors, three of them in the field. Although even though this technically wasn't a fielding error, I'm still going to throw the base running blunder by Gary Sanchez in there because I'm sorry when you're trying to advance to second with two outs after getting an RBI hit, there is no, no excuses. Like can't do that. And, and don't even get me started on Gary Sanchez. That's a rant for another day. He's a guy that really shouldn't be starting anymore. Yeah. I, I'm surprised he's still a Yankee. I mean, at this point, I feel like no matter what trade you make, you're probably going to lose it because I don't think his trade value is too high. And I think he's going to be a guy that once he finds a new situation, he, he's definitely going to do, do better from it. But, at, at this point, it's, it's very clear the Yankees pitchers don't enjoy throwing to him. Um, he, he's pretty lazy when it comes to blocking baseballs, and he's inconsistent at the plate. You know, those are all signs that you should probably move on from the catcher. And 
I think there's a lot of teams that would have interest in him. I mean, if I'm Milwaukee, I mean, my offense is so awful. You could probably put him behind the plate, you know, improve the middle of the order. I mean, we, we don't really need – I know you don't want to talk too much Gary Sanchez, but I think the Yankees should eventually move on from him because it's the same story every single year. And I think if Cole wants him out, you know, you paid him at that, that mega deal, you want to make sure you have the catcher he likes. I know he does have his personal catcher, but I think that just makes the matters worse for Gary Sanchez. Well, here's the other thing. The guy can't pitch for him either. I'm that sorry, too. if you're a catcher, that's a big problem. Like, it's one thing that he can't hit. Like – I get it. Like a lot of people aren't going to be able, players aren't going to be able to hit for power. I get it. He's a swing and miss Scott or home run guy. My biggest issue is the pitch framing. When it averages out the same for the past four years, I think that's telling me that he might not be the answer at catcher. A lot of at bats there. A lot of yeah, games no. there. It's that tells me all I need to know. And um, and like I said, the base. It's not just him. There have been other base running blunders the Yankees have had. Like. I talked about how in, in one of the Rays games that they won, you had Gio Rochella trying to take third on a wild pitch, and the ball didn't even bounce far enough to where he should have gone third. Gets thrown out easily, and then a few batters later, Glaber Torres gets picked off. And even though that doesn't necessarily count as a base running play, the fact of the matter is the Yankees made 20, 28 outs while running the bases. That's yeah, not- you were talking about that before I came but Well, here's the thing with the New York Yankees. One – that's been an issue for you guys for the last couple of years. I feel like when you guys have made additions, when you guys have promoted, a lot of them have been that high power, low contact, high strikeout type of player. And, you know, a lot of that means you aren't the best at base running. Like I, when you have a lineup with Stanton, Judge, yeah, I mean, Torres isn't bad, Andujar, Voight, guys like that. You know, a lot of them don't lead to quality base runners. You guys went into this offseason needing to improve your base running, your contact, things like that. And and I feel like this has been a need for a while, but I feel like you guys have refused to address it. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been saying it every year. They're such a big home run or bust team. It's been their downfall every single year. Trust, trust me when I say I've been, like, screaming about this ad nauseum, but you know, it is what it is. I'm hoping it doesn't help when DJ LeMahieu has the season. Right. He's having. I mean, right. I feel like over the last couple of years, you guys have been such a poor contact team, yet he still hit up in the 320s and was still an extremely productive offensive contact player, putting the ball in play. Yeah. And now with him not doing it, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate. But I mean, you guys added guys like Rudendo Dora. I was like, how's, how's he going to fix your issue? You guys yeah, need no. someone like an you know I don't know how many Pittsburgh Pirates games you've been watching this year. A little um, bit. Adam Frazier. Oh, he would be great. I, I, like I know what you're talking about with him. Yeah. I mean, He's every great. single year I see this going to the deadline. Uh Yankees should add Whit Merrifield. Yankees should add Eric Sogard. Yankees should add Adam Frazier. I mean, I feel like you guys could really Tommy Listella. Um there's a, there's a lot of different guys that I feel like every single offseason get traded that I feel like would be perfect for the Yankees, but you guys never get them. Right. No, I agree. But the I, good thing about the Yankees, well, for you at least, is your pitching's been better than I thought it'd be. Like, Tyon's had some good games. Kluber obviously had the no-hitter, but he's dealing with an injury. Herman has his past. Whether you like him or not, he's been good in the on the mound. And then Cole, obviously, has been an ace. I mean, I feel like that's going into the deadline, knowing that at least you have those pitchers pitching well when they're healthy is a very good thing to know. Montgomery, too. I'm glad you mentioned Whit Merrifield, too, because that's another guy who I think is criminally underrated. Like, no one really talks about how productive he is. He's not a home run hitter, but he's someone who steals a ton of bases. He slaps the ball. Yeah, steals a ton of bases. He is a great fundamentally sound player, and I really think the Yankees could use somebody like him. And, um, before I wrap up the show, let's move on from the AL East for a little bit. I want to talk about a few NL teams that have stood out to me. And before we get to that, we got a comment from com- comment from Tom. Anthony Rizzo is back for Chi-Town. Yes, he is. The Chicago Cubs, forget the fact that they've won nine of their last 10 games. If you want to get technical, they've won 15 of their last 19 games. Wow. Now, I had Andrew Hopper, as I mentioned, on our last show. He, we talked about the St. Louis Cardinals and how on paper they probably should be the team that wins the division. However, with that being said, we mentioned that the Cardinals have their flaws. Like, they have a lot of injuries right now. They they lost Harrison Bader for a good part. Tyler O'Neill missed a couple of games. 
starting pitching besides Jack Flaherty has been math, but then you and get Al to the Flaherty's hurt. Say that again. Isn't Flaherty hurt? I think he is. So, and then you get to the bullpen. Historically, I'm pretty sure the 2021 Cardinals are at or near the top of most walks issued. The issue with that's a pretty flawed. So, when you look at the Cubs winning right now and the way the Cardinals has been, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Cubs might actually steal that division. It's crazy because, like, whenever teams make trades, it sends messages on a direction. When you trade you Darvish for four kids that are 19 or younger, that tells me the direction you want to go. Yeah, You are trading away your ace-level starting pitcher to improve the talent in the, in the farm system. Mm-hmm. You looked at the Cubs going into the season. Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, the three faces of your franchise were set to be free agents. You know, there were trade rumors all offseason. Could they trade Chris Bryant? Obviously, my answer was hell no. His trade value is nothing. See if you can get him at the deadline. He's having such a good season, they might not be able to trade him. Yeah. Could you imagine the reaction from the city of Chicago if Jed Hoyer moved him when they were in first place? Oh, my God. that's That would be nuts. He can't trade any of them. And there's no guarantee all three of them come back with a new contract. Right. Because Chris Bryant's had his issues with the organization in regards to his call-up time when he was a younger player, uh, you know, contract talks. It, it didn't look good. There are a lot of signs are pointing to Chris Bryant is basically going to play for what his trade value is going to be at the deadline. Uh, yeah. Rizzo said he's not going to talk after once the season starts. Season started, no contract. There's no guarantee he comes back. Baez, same thing, who's been hitting the hell out of the baseball recently uh, in the, during this winning streak. I think he's had, he's had a boatload of home runs as of late. So they're playing so well. They're playing well under a manager they all enjoy playing. They're playing under. Their pitching's been good, even though I thought that was going to be their weak point after trading away you Darvish. And Craig Kimbrell looks like a potential all-star closer again. So... Uh, a lot of things are going well in Chicago. I think the division being as bad as it is right now is helping. But, you know, they went to L.A. and smacked the Dodgers. They hosted the Padres and smacked them as well. So it's not like they're just beating the teams in their yeah. own division. They're playing some of the best teams in the National League. And they're coming out of those series with the victory. So you got to give David Ross a lot of credit. I think he's Unless Gabe Kapler finds a way to win the West, I think he's on a near lock to win manager of the year. Good for the Cubs, but the front office said, this is the direction we're going to go, and the players said, no, we're not. And, you know, they could be stuck in like a royal situation where, I mean, the situation, a little, little different. I mean, not every single is perfect. The Royals went into the year knowing they had some contracts but tried to win. The Cubs went into the year with the contracts not exactly trying to win. Now they're kind of stuck being forced to win because of how they're playing. And they may lose some of these guys and not get anything for them in the return and maybe kind of slow down a potential rebuild. But you got to give a lot of credit to the Cubs. They showed up, they played, and they've told Jed Hoare, you're going to need to add this offseason because your three potential trade candidates, they're not going anywhere if you're staying in first place. Yeah, no, I think the Cubs have definitely been one of the more interesting stories. I, I I, would probably give it to David Ross, honestly. I mean, I know Gabe Kapler of the Giants has been doing a good job, but, like, when you look at the direction... If direct- Kapler comes in first, he has to get it. Oh, no, no, no. But sure. I don't think he will because his record against the Dodgers and the um, Padres isn't that great. I mean, they looked like crap against the Dodgers... Who the Giants? I thought yeah. they won this weekend. They no. won, did they take three to four? The Giants didn't they? I thought they got swept. Or did they play them again? I remember watching they played them this weekend. They took three out oh, of four. Did they? Okay, no, I, I must. I, never mind. But, but yeah, um, no, I am. Um, my concern with them is: Do you really think? I mean, they're they're a bunch of prove it guys, like Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Brandon yeah. Bell. I just I think once the Dodgers are fully healthy and the Padres are fully healthy, there's no way they have the talent on that team to keep up with them. It, it just it's not gonna happen. I mean if the Dodgers finally have Betts and Bellinger hitting. 
Yeah, like I, that's, I think that's terrifying. I just I don't think it's going to happen. I I agree with you. It's going to go to Ross, but if the Giants come out of nowhere and actually win this thing, you can't not give it to Kaplan. I mean, look, I've been impressed with what the Giants have been doing so far this season. They've gotten off to a great start, but hit. that yeah, they can. And uh, Kevin Gossman, look at look at another guy who's benefited from leaving Baltimore. His ERA is one point four zero. That's yeah. insane. I think the Giants will probably remain in the mix. I just don't know if they're they can really compete with LA and San Diego by the end of the that, season. And that's the unfortunate thing is I, I, I think doubt gotten, two teams in the same division get the wild cards. Yeah, that too. I think maybe I could see maybe the Braves or uh, say one of the other teams in the NL, NL East probably improving and getting that second wild card because that's, that's where the de- is. Th- th- that's where the deadline gets interesting because if I'm the Braves, I'm not buying. Yeah, no. But if I'm the Cardinals or the Cubs or the Brewers, I am. If Mm -hmm. I'm the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, I am. If I'm the Mets or the Phillies, I am. Mm -hmm. What need do the Braves? I mean, then again, in a month from now, they could look a little different. Um, Obviously, what happened with Ozuna, the timing. I mean, no one wants to see that story ever. You know, you're a team that's really trying to turn it around, and now you have to deal with, you know, th- this situation and, and one of your key bats in the order not being there who wasn't having a good year to begin with. Um, they just – they've been in a funk. You know, their starting pitching been inconsistent. Their lineup hasn't been there. Um, they've been waiting for a lot of key players to turn it around, which they have been doing as of late, but now they are kind of getting back to where they were before. So if there's going to be eight – Buyers in the NL, you know, it could get interesting. I just, I don't believe in Philly. I think they're going to make the wrong move at the deadline. You know, yep. trade away a young piece for a player that they probably shouldn't. The Mets, I mean, they have to be buyers with how, I mean, Cohen's not talking as much as he was in the offseason, but I feel like they have to make a move. Oh, I'm sure they will. Dodgers need to get a bullpen piece. Padres may have to as well in the eighth inning because of the injuries they've had to deal with. with guys like Pomerant and Kiela will see what their health status is like. But the yep. NL is going to be nuts this year. It yeah. is. It's I think the, the AL is going to be nuts too because I think the AL East specifically, what we're going to be watching is going to be crazy. But there's a lot of teams in the NL that can take the, one of those spots in the wild card. And, and I, I think this deadline too has a chance to be pretty nuts as well. Well, that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I'm really looking forward to seeing the trade deadline moves. I think particularly the NL West, that's, that's a crazy division. I know the Giants have been doing well. I don't know if they're going to sustain this greatness for the rest of the season. The Cubs, on the other hand, I think have a better shot at staying at first place. Schedule's easier. It is, and not to mention they play in the weaker division. And I just think with the Cardinals, like I pointed out with Andy last week, I think the foundation is really cracking. And it doesn't help when you have a bullpen that walks a lot of batters like crazy. So, yeah. See, they're, I, they're, they're yeah. just like Goldschmidt hasn't been outstanding. Who's that young guy, the outfielder who's been killing it? O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill. He's been playing well. I mean, I, mean, I didn't really love their roster coming into the year, I love the addition of Arenado. But they're the Cardinals. They're always going to be solid. Definitely. You know, I, I just feel like – but if Flaherty's out for – and he, he's really hurt, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So he had an oblique strain, I think, if I remember correctly. I, I had a total brain fart about it. I was thinking about – He was swinging a bat, right? Yeah, no. You, this is why I hate seeing pitchers batting. I feel like there needs to be a Stupid. DH. But that's, that's a discussion I can have for another day. But, yeah, I, I agree. I, they cannot afford to lose Flaherty for – a significant period of time and their pitching is already thin as it is. I think this is now probably the Cubs division to lose at this point. But anyways, with that having said, I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for our show. Thank you for coming on to, to discuss some baseball with me, particularly the Yankees Red Sox rivalry. Now, obviously I'm sorry about our little mishap that happened with, uh, you know, the whole, your computer freezing, but before you go, could you do us a favor and plug yourself? Uh, yeah, you guys can uh, follow me on our new YouTube channel. I'm uh, uh, Down the Block Sports. Uh, we go live pretty much every single week. I had Hank on. He came on when Albert Pujols got released by the or DFA'd by the Los Angeles Angels. So uh, 
Yeah, I like to cover pretty much every single sport I can. I have basketball videos, hockey videos, NFL, MLB, college football, college basketball. So, you know, I just want to hang out and talk sports. That's the objective we have. So find us on YouTube. You can check it out on Down the Block Sports. All right. Thank you again so much for coming on, Alec. Always a yeah, pleasure. No Always a pleasure talking with sports with you, and I'm definitely looking forward to having you on the show again. Hopefully oh, yeah. no technical, technological mishap, but it you happens. know what? Sometimes things happen in and out of our control, just like what's been happening to our baseball teams in the very recent years. But anyways, in addition to Alex's channel, please all subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And in addition, give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, every, all forms of social media. And until next week, thank you again for watching another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I'm Hank and Dichter, and I will sign off.